Welcome to TA1, everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, the still sick, legendary Randy Erickson. So let's just make this a real quick little intro. I think um, we got it on the mend, hopefully. Try enough antibiotics, something works. I am feeling a little better. Um, it's going to be interesting trying to get uh, some fitness back once I get healed up. So uh, Today is Fletcher Hamill. This would be part two of our uh, dream journey, team journey at uh, Primal Quest Tahoe. Um, another good one. So, hell, let's just take chances. Go fast. How's it go? Go fast, take chances, and thanks for listening. And here's Fletcher. This is Fletcher. Hey, Fletcher. This is Randy. Hey, Randy. How are you? Sick, but hey, what else is new, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you know, just the body recovering after all that adventure. Yeah, actually, I think I had something going into it. We've decided some sort of infection, and it's been just a, a nightmare to get rid of. So, lots and lots of drugs, so, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, as in the uh, um, killing bugs kind of drugs. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that and a lot of sleep and fluids and all the uh, traditional. You know, yeah. So. Other I, recipes. <laughs> so I saw a couple of things, and and this is kind of interesting because one being sick, but two. Have you felt like, uh, or are you over it yet, but you'll be going and you're fine and all of a sudden it's like your body shuts down? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've dealt with that in the past, for sure. <laughs> and even coming back from uh, from Primal Quest this year, not necessarily the, the illness thing so much as just fatigue all of a sudden hitting hitting me like a wall. Like, mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I didn't sleep much that last week. <laughs> so yeah exactly so are you getting getting it a little bit of a handle on it yeah yeah it's starting to um, i'm starting to feel back to normal for the most part uh mm -hmm. except for the lingering numb toes which seems to be troubling several racers so <laughs> yeah several as in probably just about everybody <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah, bike shoes are are not made to uh, spend that many miles hiking in, are they? No, no. I, I've I've done it before, I, yeah. and uh, and suffered the consequences of three or four months without proper feeling. But yeah, but eventually it comes back. So, um, something I wanted to ask you is there just like a moment or a couple of moments that like you'll be sitting around maybe not even thinking about the race, but these things will come to you. You'll think of, you know, a particular section or something, something that really maybe affected you. Well, um, I don't know that it, it's a daytime thing. I certainly, um, wake up with, uh, you know, the cold sweats or whatever in the middle of the night, like, Oh man, I you know, reliving certain experiences or trying in my mind to make better decisions having gone through it one time before. So, yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> so is that like like a dream is it like or are you is it like a specific moment for the race or is it something you know some sort of a dream that is pointing to the race um i don't i would say that it, it would be specific race moments mm -hmm. i couldn't necessarily pinpoint yeah one in particular being a standout but i mean it's just like anything kind of reliving you know our we're our worst worst critics like yeah man if i would have done xyz we would have shaved this much time or i wouldn't have bonked or I, you know whatever the case may be um yeah. so it's, it's part of the the learning curve which is fairly uh exponential and this type of race length. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. I kind of have, um, not, not race specific dreams, but, um, tasks. Like I'll be trying to, trying to finish some task or get something done. And I, and if I think about it, it's like, oh yeah, that's because I, this didn't happen during a race <laughs> or something. Uh, but, um, I haven't talked well, so okay. I've talked to Olaf. You're second. I get the rest of you guys this week. But um, how did you guys get to the race? Because um, you actually won the 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 video challenge, so to speak. So yeah, um, we you know there was some initial interest in the race and in a couple different expeditions this through 2015 and. Um, and I think most of us were probably in the mindset that without some sponsorship dollars coming in, this was going to be hard to pull off. And, yeah. and, um, at the time the, uh, the race sponsor for the point of view cameras, uh, was looking to put together a team and ended up doing a, a video contest uh so we submitted well we all kind of did our own various videos of humor and training and whatnot and thankfully we have a very committed um team captain and uh i guess journey journey racing owner um who's invested in growing the sport and in growing some races in the front range area and obviously in the team, um, Chelsea, uh, yeah. and her husband put together or edited, uh, the, uh, the video entry for us. And, uh, we were selected and it was, yeah. uh, it was worth the investment of time for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's, so you guys all basically did a separate one and then they put them together cause that's the one thing with when you're not in the same place, it's really hard to put a team video together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely is. So, um, so when you got that, were you, uh, was that good news or was that, uh, so, so news? <laughs> <laughs> now you got to go. <laughs> it, it was good news. I, I, I think it was shocking. Well, you know, exciting, shocking news to everyone. So, I mean, it definitely meant, um, you know, upping the, the training load, taking it up a notch and being ready for what was coming uh, 
physically. So, um, we so all do you have th- a little bit of. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, do you think your training was sufficient? I mean, obviously, we always all think we should do more, but I mean, well, how do you rate um, your training? My training was, I, I kind of go in cycles, unfortunately, uh, well, or fortunately, depending. Um, and I would say going into race season, expedition season last summer, I was actually probably in better physical shape. Um, just cause I had peaked at the time that I was hoping to race. And, um, but this time around, you know, I got really excited about this entry, um, started ramping up quite a bit and, uh, then ended up with an injury that I sort of kept under wraps and kept training, but, um, it definitely affected my, um, my mileage quantity for, yeah. um, for quite some time. So I was, hobbling um through a lot of my runs um for six to eight weeks um but with no doubt in my mind that i would be ready and it just meant picking up some some extra mileage on the bike and and you know i've done enough expedition racing now that i kind of know what i'm capable of and what i'm willing to put myself through which is probably more than some yeah <laughs> so training so, was i mean i i was doing as much as i could but yeah. uh the unfortunate nature of the sport is that sometimes you physically can't do more so yeah but you didn't when you got injured you didn't totally freak out right no <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well unless you call like you know visiting all my uh, local masseuse and chiropractic and ART uh, friends and, and practitioners to, to figure it out, to get on top of it as quickly as possible. Because um, basically I had, um, I don't know even what you would call it, uh, separated, uh, subluxed, whatever it is, my pubic symphysis. So basically a a major dislocation of the hip pelvic area that usually takes anywhere from three to four months to recover from. And I'm like, mm. uh, I kind of don't have that time. Mm. So let's figure <laughs> out how to fix this quick. So, yeah. um, came together. Um, are you, are, are you a good patient in situations like that? I mean, do you listen to everybody and follow them and not say, okay, well, they said eight, eight, but I'll do nine. Cause that's gotta be really better. <laughs> You know, I uh, <laughs> I do what I can, but I yeah. definitely walk the line. Um, yeah. So. No. Well, I mean, it worked. Whatever you did, you got there, right? That's right. I got there and uh, exceeded, or at least lived up to the expectations <laughs> that we had all kind of put together ahead of time yeah. to fight for a podium spot so was that i mean had you guys really actually talked about that i mean did you were you thinking that was a realistic goal for the team um well i think kind of the overarching goal and and julian 
maybe can uh, speak to this more. I mean, I think, you know, he wanted to be as competitive as possible. At the mm-hmm. time, we thought there were still going to be 17 or 18 teams. So yeah. we were, he was saying something like top five and ideally on the podium, but there was not a lot of pressure or expectation on his part. Um, but for me personally, uh, knowing the field, knowing the area and that race length, I just felt a lot more comfortable committing to um, getting on that podium. I mean, I wasn't going to go there and race for less. Um, and uh, obviously, we had to sort of revamp our expectations <laughs> race morning, yeah. but uh, we still didn't let go of that that possibility so yeah um, so what yeah. what what went through your mind when you looked at olaf and th- saw that he was 90 percent dead and he said he couldn't <laughs> race <laughs> uh well because i'm sure he didn't look very good no not mm. at all he was uh he was mess and uh and i can't say that i've never been there before mm. um in one form or another and uh but i think i was in complete denial um mm-hmm. you know julian was doing everything in his power possible to to make this work and and katie was trying to justify whether she still wanted to race if we weren't going to be official and mm-hmm. and i was just like oh he's going to be fine <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> So, yeah, but, he's Olaf. you know, he's gonna be fine. I guess I just kicked it into, you know, uh, Julian went into, uh, you know, the mode of taking care of getting everything he needed in terms of medicine, whatever, just to help him feel good enough to get to the starting line. And in the meantime, I went ahead and prepped all his gear and, you know, bagged all his, his food. And, and then we started just sort of divvying up everything so i went into this race again probably not necessarily under trained but trained less than i wanted to be um and and mentally preparing to do a lot of the 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 brain work i guess and all of a sudden i'm muling the 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 load as well and uh so that's that's pretty taxing right from the get-go but yeah yeah um so, I mean, was the plan just to, like, get to the start, see what happens? Yeah. Again, um, I was racing with the, with no other thought in mind that, other than we're going to race. And yeah. as soon as Olaf tells us we need to back down, we will. Um, but I was never trying to push us outside of that threshold of him deciding enough is enough. Yeah, he so, knows his limits. Um, um, in some ways, though, I mean, you could look back and say that was a good strategy. You had to start slow. Um, but how much faster do you think you would have been, and, and do you think it might have hurt you later if you'd have if you'd have been a hundred percent and you really, you know, had hammered those first couple of days? Um, it's it's hard to say. I mean, yeah. I mean, we didn't. We didn't race super slow. I mean, we we did and we didn't. But yeah. but uh, I mean, his illness still taxed the rest of the group a little bit more um, 
just in terms of uh, carrying a lot of extra weight. Um, mm. So maybe the speed was reduced. Um, so I don't know that it would have affected us a ton more um, if he was full um, full health or full speed. Um, yeah. It's hard to say, you know. Yeah. But, uh, he, you know, he'll... He, he won't like me to say this, but you know, to a certain degree, there there was a, a, a certain benefit to having him be sick. Obviously, we wouldn't have preferred him be that sick, but there it built it instantly built the the team into we're going to take care of our own. I mean, right mm-hmm. from the get go, our strongest athlete is our weakest, and yeah. so. Uh, the dependability there um, was founded, you know, day one, and uh, and I'm thankful for that because it was me later in the race that really needed to rely on everyone to to pull through a dark hour, so or day or whatever it was. So <laughs> um, it, it it set a tone, it set an expectation um, for us that I mean, really, I think was the glue that held us together through the race that kept us moving efficiently as a team even when one or more of us were down so yeah um well i mean because let's face it at every race like that some point on the team somebody's going to be going to be there you just happen to have to start that way (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we had to we had to work through some some demons and uh and then met some angels along the trail one way or another. Had some had some good things go our way as well. So yeah, well yeah. And then yeah, because on top of everything else, and on the first night, you got to find a bike in the middle of the woods, a new bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're at, you know, at that point. The corner and find a brand new bike. Yeah, at that point, <laughs> when he broke his bike, were you just like, what else could go wrong? It, it was it was one of those things. I mean, <laughs> basically, we were all tired and worn out, and all of a sudden, his pedal almost just basically falls off the bike, and we all take turns trying to thread it back in. But, I mean, it had come out, and then he had either put torque on it or smashed it against something because it was severely cross-threaded. And so every time we'd try to re-thread it in there, we'd rip out some more threads um you know and and having already not even 24 hours into this race having race brains start to take effect especially at night you know we could have threaded it from the back side of the crank and probably gotten it to kind of re-jive but basically Mm -hmm. we stripped out that crank arm and uh my only option at that point was um something i'd seen at raid the north um I think it was uh, Team Dark Noon did something similar. Obviously, their their bikes weren't broken, but they had no platforms. Um, but, you know, I found the, the stiffest stick we could find and snapped it off and told him to look away and hammered it into his $9,000 or $10,000 bike and <coughs> got the medical, medical duct tape out and taped a rock on there and said, that's going to get you to the next TA. Uh, <laughs> you know coast whatever you have to do but it'll allow you to at least put your foot up while you're going downhill so um 
And, and thankfully, you know, we only had a few more miles before, um, a, you know, a bike appeared out of the mist. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's uh, not the first. It's not the first bike that's appeared for a team. So. And I, I always think that's one of those things. That every team could ask for a bike if they wanted, yep. right? <laughs> they just chose not to because theirs worked. <laughs> so, yep. um, all right. So, enough of this negativity. What was the absolute best part of the race for you? I mean, you can't say the finish because that's too easy. <laughs> I, I would have to say that that second trek. Um, the one between the paddles, between the whitewater sections was my favorite, just that entire day. I mean, we yeah. came in, obviously everyone caught up at the dark sound, but we just went in mentally prepared. You know, we, we asked Maria like, okay, we know our backpacks are mandatory gear, but do we have to have them on the paddle? Oh no, just as long as you have your mandatory equipment. So yeah. We prepped all that stuff and we pre-prepped our bags. Our our packs were ready to go at that transition. Mm-hmm. And so even though we had the slower boats and didn't capsize, and basically all three teams came in off off the kayaks at the same time, yeah. but we jumped out of that transition about a half hour ahead of the next team and we just at that point didn't let go the rest of the race. So, yeah, but yeah we were working... We were working in kind of a different gear at that point. I mean, we were running, you know, making, I don't know, 11, 12-minute mile pace um, after that many miles on our feet already in the race. So I was I was feeling ecstatic. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it sounds like that was kind of the – that's kind of where you broke away from your – from – Tahoe and NorCal because you guys I mean it was a pretty interesting race to watch at that point because you you know Uh, they they kept it close for a little while after that but we never we never I guess jockeyed anymore if you will Mm, so they kept you honest (laughs) yeah they kept us honest but we uh but but we never let third place go after that there's no more major mistakes or navigation or anything else and even even though my the worst parts of the race for me physically came after that still kept it together as a team and kept moving forward steadily so yeah. um yeah, yeah interesting but yeah um, that set the tone yeah and this is something i'll ask julian about but what i read is you guys took the, did take the slower more stable boats for the kayak is that right that was my understanding. Um, I know that uh, Julian picked out our boat. He's the one with the most water experience on our yeah. team and probably one of the most uh, of any of the racers there. Yeah. Um, and we just made the decision that it was more important to us not to swim than to be the fastest one down that chute um, yeah. just because then we don't have to do as much maintenance and exhaust i mean like we just weren't exhausted the same way so and i think it was a good call so. well yeah you can't argue with it so did you, i mean you guys did you swim any did you make all of the rapids we made all the rapids yeah. from what i hear we're the only team that did so I, i'll take all. it <laughs> well i mean i watched uh norcal and tahoe you know go through that troublemaker and then you 
you see them, you see how, I mean, you could literally just see the energy leaving their body, you know, as they're trying to, you know, get to the edge or even just sitting on the, on the bank and, you know, post having a little PTSD, I think. <laughs> so Exactly. There's nothing more scary than water. So uh, Tell me about it. My, my nemesis. <laughs> so, um, okay. Enough of the good stuff. Where did where did your body fail you at? I want to I want to hear a little bit more about this because it sounded like so you had a pretty hard time. <laughs> I I uh, I had a couple. I mean, I think I amazed my teammates, frustrated and amazed them because um, I had a couple different episodes. Um, it was basically the the end of several legs. I would be out of water or out of calories or whatever the case may be, and. Um, so even the first transition at uh, Kirkwood off that bike, um, I had just gotten overheated after Lover's Leap, and um, Olaf and Julian took over navigation, and I just tried to put one foot in front of another. Um, but it was like, you know, a two-hour sleep in the restroom and, uh, you know, a little bit of food in the tummy, and I was ready to go again. So I think they were surprised how quickly I could continue to rebound mm-hmm. Um off of uh, off of whatever downtimes, but the but the big one was, and I it caught me off guard. I didn't see it coming, and all of a sudden it did. But it was right um, right before the hellhole uh, checkpoint. I mean, we were coming down um, out of checkpoint twenty three, and I just literally felt the energy just drain out of me and we started putting in calories and putting in fluids and doing whatever we could and we actually took a a rest near French Meadows I think we took an hour nap just to see if we could but I literally couldn't couldn't keep my body temp down so I mean I, I I know subconsciously I knew that we were already way that we were going to be way behind in, in calories needed to finish that leg. And I think I started rationing way before everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I think it hit me sooner, but yeah. um, I don't know. It, I can't explain it, but I'm just glad that I had teammates there um, that were willing to help me make it through. So, yeah. Um, Here's a question about nutrition, since you sort of brought it up. When, and, and maybe you answered this already, but do you, you know, you're in a stretch like that, and all of a sudden you kind of realize, okay, we're going to be short. Do you do you kind of maintain for a while and then start rationing towards? I mean, do you try to keep your energy normal for as long as you can and then ration, or do you start rationing and and let the energy fall, and hopefully, it ends up. You end up at the TA before everything crashes. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know what the the exact strategy is on on that leg. Whatever it was, didn't work for me. I think okay. I think the key was that we didn't we didn't communicate as a team through that section how mm-hmm. we were feeling, uh, yeah. myself especially, and and I I think I just didn't realize that that I was that I was letting myself go. Um, cause yeah, I was just, I was gradually falling off the back of the team and not, not keeping up. And then all of a sudden it was like, 
it was gone. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I, my, my thought is that you go, you try to find a, a good, consistent, steady pace that allows you to take in less calories or burn less calories. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I, you know, by the end of this race, you know, last, the last hiking leg, trekking leg, I was, I was running and I was carrying yeah. two packs and, you know, whatever else. And granted, I had a much easier day on the bike because they had, uh, taken my pack and everything the day before. But, um, it was like, I totally rebounded, but I noticed that I was only able to do that if I were, if I was putting in just endless flow of calorie and, and fluids. I mean, I mean, as long as I had a feed bag in my mouth, I was good to go. Um, otherwise I would quickly, uh, run out of calories and, and apparently I don't, I don't convert over to burning fat so well. Uh, you gotta have some fat. You gotta have some fat to convert first, but (laughs) that may be a problem then, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, after, yeah, what that's seven days in you, you've burned all your reserves. So I could, I could see that very easily. Yeah. You're. You could be fine as long as you just keep throwing the calories in you. So exactly. But, um, was there something about in in you know for me in hindsight, I actually never got to Hellhole because I ended up going around being on the other side in Rubicon or wherever you know. And then you look back and think, man, I should have been there. But did that like look easier than it was going to be or? Or what? Because I mean, so many people got into trouble in that in that bike section. I mean, was it was it everybody underestimated, or were you going good at the start? I mean, I you, think what? that that was the day where the heat really came on, mm-hmm. um, especially coming out of uh, Lux Chucky. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you you saw us climbing out of there, and yeah. I was just pouring buckets of sweat out and so by the time we rolled into the next day i mean i I think the heat had just taken its toll um i think we you know under calculated everyone under calculated the the time it would take um so there just wasn't enough calories to to go around and and then to find out once you make it to hellhole that you have a choice between a couple different bike whack you know, like ridiculous climbs, um, or in the case of the decision that Olaf and, uh, you know, Olaf and Julian made, which didn't pay off earlier in the race, but, you know, he consistently will. And I think maybe that has to do with the way that he went into the race, feeling, feeling punk the way he was, you know, let's take the safe conservative route out with stay on pavement or stay as level as possible. And, and uh, we made one more decision to do that, and in this case, it it paid off for us. Um, yeah. We were able to keep moving fairly consistently, and for a while, keeping my core temperature down. And and I think the biggest benefit was the fact that we were able to enter the Rubicon um, on a full meal <laughs> after uh, <laughs> after robbing the. The campgrounds, campgrounds and and uh, construction sites of yeah. uh, lunch pails. So <laughs> that was. I mean, would that that 
would that have made it an easier decision if you'd if you'd have known like all those campgrounds were around there and you know because you didn't know but we didn't know and i think a lot of people were like where in the heck are they going um <laughs> but yeah we just knew that we would move faster but i think it did add a, a good 30 maybe even 40 miles onto yeah. our leg um but you know we've been on we had been on bikes quite a bit but yeah. you know 40 percent of the time on our bikes have been pushing them and we i think figured we would do better if we could stay in the on the saddle so yeah um, well yeah i mean because god zone said that was a that was when they came out of hellhole that was 10 hours of picking your bike up putting it over a tree stepping over picking your bike up so you know yeah i I could see where riding would have been a very uh um look like a lot of fun to actually get to ride your bike had a had I been healthy, I think that I would have been a hard-pressed advocate for going the direct route. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just more my style. Um, yeah. But I wasn't going to argue, considering I was I was just hanging on at that point. So yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so then you got to uh, TA seven. Is that when? I mean, you got obviously got food in you. That's is that when you started to feel better? Then for the last trek. Um, well, basically, once we got a good meal of, uh, of off of our begging, I started to really snap back together, and we made a quick stop at uh, at the Little Rubicon, which was this, you know, pristine um, upper alpine creek or river, um, and it was just super clear and cold water, so, you know, just getting the body cooled off, getting some fresh water in the system. Mm. Um, I started to come around, um, but the team, Julian especially, just they wouldn't let me have anything. I, they allowed me to have my water bottle, that, my one water bottle in the cage and a couple, couple items in my bento box, um, but they wouldn't let me carry my pack or anything. Yeah. So... Um, and I but think I kind of gathered that. Yeah. On the way down. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. I think they were doing a strategic play without my knowledge to have me <laughs> be the muscle for that last trek. But. Um, so. Well, so. I mean, I think it worked when I saw you guys at Watson Lake. You. I mean, I would say you looked. You know, marginally the freshest. <laughs> I'm not going to say any of you look that <laughs> All good. All things but... considered, yeah. I look slightly the most dry, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, I've talked to a couple people about this, but was the last paddle a little anticlimactic? It I was mean, the... in terms of like, the pressure and we actually we wanted it that way in mm-hmm. terms of like we just knew that um based on the very first paddle that uh both tahoe and norcal were were superior paddlers on the flat water to us especially um and uh we just wanted to build enough margin going into that um to not feel the breath yeah um but on the on the flip side, it made for a 
tiring, like just going into a paddle that was that was hard to do because yeah. we weren't race speed. Now, for uh, for Olaf and I, that last paddle, the first half of that paddle was was at race speed just because <laughs> staying upright and being freaked out t- tends to make you to go a little bit faster. Yeah. So once again, I was burning off my glycogen stores and and unable to put enough calories in, and it was just one of those things where it's like. But I, I have to say this because it, it was definitely for being anticlimactic. There was something really cool about entering the water on the beach the last time. It felt very surreal, like like uh, all the old primal quests and eco challenges that I'd watched in the past. Of like, here it is. You know, this is just our our victory sail in. Like we finally did it. You know. Yeah. Eight, seven and a half, eight days into this thing. Uh, so it was definitely one of those kind of emotional moments. Yeah. Um, I, 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 well, yeah, you could kind of see that, and you actually feel it when when the teams got in the water there at Kings Beach. You could, you know, it, it, it's still a race, but it's kind of a, a victory lap. Exactly. At that point. So um, what was I going to say? I had, a, I had a pretty good question there. Um, well, oh, so you're not I mean you guys weren't you and Olaf were kind of like not real comfortable what's it like when you look over at Julian and he's probably like half asleep paddling and enjoying it <laughs> do, you, do you hate him at that moment do I hate who Julian Julian yeah because <laughs> he's well <laughs> <laughs> well well Julian and Katie have spent several I mean they're the only ones with race history together yeah and they insisted on paddling together which is obviously the uh, the discipline that can stir up the most uh, emotions or confrontations mm-hmm. just because you're stuck together. Yeah. Um, so, and uh, and in terms of comfort in the water, I would say Olaf was our least um, prepared, especially in big water like Tahoe. Yeah. Um, so you know, I mean, he did a great job, but but those were big waves, and yeah. and he's a Big guy, and and uh, we were having some issues with the strap or buckle on the seat had snapped or broken or something had happened. So, um, you know, it was like one of those things where we're reaching out to Julian for help, and they're all kind of in their own world for a while, and yeah. and we finally eventually just kind of screamed a bit, and and then decided that we we're going to figure it out together. So. Um, it worked out. I mean, just like the first paddle worked out. I, I had no idea um, of his experience or lack thereof in moving water, and and I just assumed the front position because I had a wetsuit and, and yeah. uh, was willing to to get a little colder, a little soggier, and yeah. uh, um, and so I ended up having to read and and call out directions on the river even. Um, from the front of the boat so we had we had definitely less experience together and less experience i guess on the water although um you know i've i've spent my fair share of time on the water but uh yeah it's just different when when you're with someone who's a little uncomfortable (laughs) it could have been worse you could have had me in the boat so count your lucky stars there there you go (laughs) go. he i I, you know 
Olaf explained to me that, that the paddle for him, especially the paddle on Lake Tahoe, was a lot he a lot like how I felt going up that rope, which was like literally one foot at a time, you know, yeah. like don't don't look at anything except the rope. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking he's like, don't look at anything except the next wave. Just make sure that thing doesn't tip us or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to, actually I wanted to touch on that a little bit because you don't like heights. I think you said that in your report. <laughs> but why? Yeah. I mean, how do you? I mean, literally, is it literally just stare at the rope? Is that how you get through it? I. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I you know I took up rock climbing in college for the very same reason that you know I was afraid of heights and the only way to deal with that was directly and mm-hmm. and so I've done a decent amount of climbing but never anything that big or long or exposed and yeah. so you know it was fine when I could touch the rock and when I could spend the majority of my time focusing on the wall but as soon as we were completely overhung and spinning around and so I you know it was like oh my gosh I'm really high I can see the whole valley I was like I'm I'm freaking out a little bit Mm -hmm. and uh and then and then I was like well I'll just close my eyes I went on to think about it but that actually made it worse I got really kind of dizzy and sick Mm -hmm. I was like okay well every once in a while I'll just look out you know remind yourself of the beauty and grandeur of it and then get to business spend 90 percent of your time looking at that rope and counting the threads on it and, yeah. and and going through the motions doing the routine so and it worked i mean i wasn't the slowest one up the wall by a long shot but um, it was definitely taxing so yeah yeah definitely make <clears throat> gives you a reason to focus so Exactly. Um, I was like, it's going to be easier to keep going up than to try to figure out how to get myself down this thing. So I'm yeah. not going to have a freak out. <laughs> well, let me tell you this. It was easier to do that scramble up to the ropes than to go back down to the road. So. Oh, yeah. It, it took like almost twice as long to go down that as, as up. So it kind of wow. sucked. Um, so. <laughs> I want. I, I got one more thing about the race, and then I want to. I want to get a little bit of your history. But what's the biggest surprise from the race? The thing you didn't expect, or you know, the thing that you think back and think, "Wow, I, I, that's unusual or cool or whatever." Um, man, there was nothing that was like completely out of. Mm-hmm the ordinary i mean it was just like every section i'd be like wow that's the biggest or the longest or the scariest thing i've ever done in a race until the next section so it was just (laughs) as as a holistic event it was just it was epic it was just big there was nothing there was nothing small about any bit of it um Mm. it was just an expectation you're going to cover a lot of ground and a lot of height and and you're going to deal with a lot uh, along the emotional spectrum so um maybe they should call it primal quest a lot (laughs) (laughs) yeah so okay well how about this then um next time you race are you going to be a little disappointed because it's probably not going to be as tough as this was 
Or are you going to think, man, I'm going to be able to race hard because it's not going to be as tough as Primal Quest was? Um, you know, I approach every race as a different experience. If, if mm-hmm. I haven't been to that race, uh, or even that race venue or whatever the case may be, you know, I approach it differently and each race requires a different training regimen and type. And, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's hard not to measure your next event against your previous one. I mean, yeah. even as a race career, it, it's like, you know, I moved past chasing points along the, the USARA series just because it was like, I wanted to go to the event that really challenged me, whether they were 30 hours or whether they were seven days, you know, um, the ones that, that required more out of me in terms of an adventure of pushing my limits physically and mentally. And, um, so, um, yeah, (laughs) but, uh, but let, next time you're out in day three and you're a little hungry, you're going to say, yeah, but I was really hungry on day seven. <laughs> exactly. And, you you I mean, know it's... what to expect. And, 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 yeah. and to be yeah. completely honest, you know, I've done several of the three to five day races, but I think what prepared this prepared me for this race the most was my experience up at Raid the North Extreme, where mm-hmm. the environment itself, just being up in the... the Kootenays in British Columbia and and just the extremity of of the course um, and not having known at that time what it would take yeah. um, my body kind of went through a lot worse that time around and, and I didn't know how hard I could push um, and this time it was like okay you know I, I at least have a bar you know a line in the sand um of, of what it's going to take. Yeah. Um, yeah. Makes sense. So, um, but, uh, all right, here's a, here's a fun question. Where do you think it's, where do you think the next one will be or should be? Um, uh, well, there's already, already rumors going around, um, yep. that this race is going to be in the Northwest or in the, upper Rockies. So Mm. to me, that means potentially in BC or up in, you know, Northern Idaho area. Yeah. So, um, you know, I would love to race in that area again. It's just gorgeous. Um, the, the fullness of the forests and, and, um, Again, lots of mountains. I love racing in the mountains. I'll, I'll take that over the desert or the jungle any day. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, I'd love to go back there. Um, obviously, it would be a lot easier sell on the family if it moves back closer. Yeah. Do, do another Utah version. I keep trying to convince a, a big race director to do something in, in the northern Utah area. Everyone wants to go down to to Moab and, and Canyon country. And I'm like, but there's so much amazing stuff up in the Wasatch and Uintas. So again, my mountain, mountain ties are, are strong, I guess. But, uh, so Utah, Colorado, Montana, I'd love any of that. Uh, and then I think a hidden gem that no one's really ever taken advantage of is, uh, 
Arkansas, central and uh, northwest Arkansas. There is a yeah. amazing amount of, uh, I guess, elevation change while while lower down is uh, yeah. deep in that in that Ozark country. It, it would be really, um, truly amazing event down there as well. So, yeah, yeah. I'd kind of like to see um, New England, and I'd love to see nine days through that stuff <laughs> that's true yeah but that's true that would be that would be a very tough and epic course as well very yeah. dense so but hey it gives us something to talk about for five or six months hopefully where's it going to be <laughs> yeah so, um the, this has been cool but i wanted, I wanted just a little background so how did how did you become an adventure racer? <laughs> you know, I, I it's a lost origin story. Um, <coughs> something about connecting with uh, the outdoor brand that was highly supportive of the events back in the day, Go Light. Um, mm-hmm. It had some connections with some of the people that started up that company and some of the racers on their elite team um, were working as part of their service department or whatever else. So, um, you know, I went through school as a, as a product designer. So coming out of school, that's what I wanted to do was design outdoor gear. And so I was always talking to people and, and trying to figure things out and I'm looking for the lightest stuff. And someone was like, you should try adventure racing. And of course, in Kansas, that has a very different uh, connotation. Um, yeah. you, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily like uh, the Muddy Buddy runs. It was it was pre that era, but it was definitely. I think my first race was, you know, three four hours long. Um, but I was hooked. You know, it was like yeah. even though there was a lot, a lot more, I guess fast-paced and a little gimmicky because I think there was, you know, team challenges like, oh, you know, like go find a tennis ball in this muddy pond with a blindfold on type of thing. Um, it was still, you know, a lot more challenging. Um, it was a thinking man's game even at that that short of a race to have to strategize when, how you're going to TA and, and what order you're going to go in if it was semi-row game style or whatever the case may be and you know, I just kept quickly graduating, you know, like, oh, I'll do a couple at this length. And it was like, oh, 12 hour. Oh, well, that was easy. Let's go up to 24 hour, 18 hour, and then 24 hour, and then 30 hour. And uh, living where I was, I was constantly rebuilding teams to the race length or duration that I wanted to go attack. So um, that meant that there were... Um, you know, bittersweet uh, changes in in roster. And back then, I was I was captaining a team, um, yeah. literally doing the website and trying to dig up sponsors and spending a lot more time on that side of the the business than on the training side. So I have a a long career of middle pack, middle of the pack finishes um, on the kind of national scale and. Um, you know, I always knew that I could race at a different level, but 
just uh, a priority at the time. I was bringing a lot of people into the sport and enjoying it and and continuing to learn more and more. And uh, I think it just at some point meeting the right teammates, meeting Chelsea and James and some of the others that started that journey yeah. along the way. And it was like, Hey, you know, I, I would love to race with other invested people. That means I can reinvest my extra time into competing at the level that I know I'm capable of. And the, all the experience I've gleaned racing it at the pace that I had been, um, I was able to transfer all of that knowledge into my training. Um, and then the move out to Utah from Kansas a little over a year and a half ago now has exponentially grown my, my physical prowess. Um, yeah. Something about being able to change elevation 3000 feet in an hour or something, you know, whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> Helps a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> it does. You know, go go for a hundred mile it. ride and get a hundred feet of climbing in just as hard. <laughs> exactly. I'd have to look for the rolling hills and go out on the windiest, nastiest day ever just yeah. to experience that kind of mental and physical torture. Um, and it's just no fun. Whereas I can still get beautiful weather or whatever I want, uh, and, and really get a good workout. And plus yeah. just the, the um, caliber of athletes out here, you know, just running with people that's like, oh yeah, last weekend I won the Bryce 100 Ultra. So yeah. you know, like to be able to train yeah. with people that are are competing in in singular sport events at that level, um, yeah, really makes a difference. So it helps. So all right, I'm going to let you go. I got just a couple of things left to go what do you think is your best what's going to be your best distance now for adventure racing time you know you think you oh think... I've, I've i've always said expeditions are my best oh, yeah. um okay. it just i always have carried way too much stuff in the shorter races uh -huh. um assuming that i can continue to get family buy-in and support to to do them obviously it's a little bit easier to do the I guess we'll call it mid-length expeditions. Those uh, long weekend expeditions are um, a little bit more feasible, um, but you know I, I love them. That, yeah. To me, that's where uh, the shift in strategy and in pace and in you know taking care of your body and of your teammates really comes into play. Um, there's a little bit more margin for error in those races so I, I love them that's i mean if i can continue to race those for a good couple of years i'll uh i'll be happy yeah. so. sounds like plan okay then the last question um when you were getting ready to leave drive out to to primal quest were you still packing your bag the night before you left um actually you know i had done a lot of pre-packing, and I'm thankful for that. So, yeah. you know, there was a few things I grabbed at the last minute, but um, I was fairly well packed, but I had annoyed my wife because I think our living room was loaded up for two weeks prior to yeah. that, just bagging and unbagging and, and everything. So, um, but yeah, thankfully it was ready to go because we, we missed the memo that, that Tuesday was not pre or early check-in, and 
show, showed up yeah. after check-in. So. Yeah, well, it worked hey, out. It you worked know. out. Yeah, exactly. So you got to be last sometimes so that you can. <laughs> there you not go. Later on, so. Absolutely. Cool. This has been fun, and I'm, I'm. Yeah. It it was interesting because for some reason, you know, I spent a lot. Of, ended up spending a lot of time with you guys. You guys in bones a little bit and like fifty forty. It's like wherever, whatever reason. You're the ones I found all the time, so it's uh, it's been fun to he hear these stories. And now I'll be able to check and see how much lying you did when I talked to Julian and Katie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Everyone's got their, their own individual perspective, yeah. regardless. So. <laughs> it's like like the movie Rashomon. Everybody, yep, everybody has a story. So. Yep. All right. Well, I'm gonna let you go back to work, and I think I might even get a little work done this afternoon. So, thanks. All right. Yeah. Thank you. All right, everybody well, else. We'll see you at the next one. All right. Go fast and take chances, and leave Fletcher alone when he's hungry. <laughs> thanks. All right. Bye. Bye.